Welcome to Fem Lead, the podcast on female leadership and role models. This show aims to inspire and equip you with the tools you need to navigate your career plans. Fem Lead brings inspiring career perspectives and strategies to guide your path to success. Your host, Alexandra, will interview role models on new exciting topics with each episode. If you like what you hear, give us a review and subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. We should be now live on LinkedIn. I'm welcoming you from the Family LinkedIn page. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Anino Emua. And I have Dr. Anino here with me today. Welcome, Anino. Thank you, Alexandra. Thank you for having me on your show today. Thank you so much for accepting to, to meet again. Uh, we meet in this uh, live setup where we want to tackle some of the questions that we received and some deep dive in some of the topics that we discussed in the podcast episode. So uh, we are going to uh, be able to get some of your questions. If you have any, feel free to share them with us. Now, uh, we've discussed uh, diversity and inclusion in leadership, but I want to set the stage by sharing with everyone, and you know, if you may, what is diversity and inclusion and what does your role at Avandis Consulting consist of? How do you integrate diversity and inclusion in leadership? Well, hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us uh, in today's show. I'll start off with a little introduction about myself. Uh, I am the founder and the managing director of Avondis Consulting, which is a strategy and financial advisory firm in France. And we focus on our leaders, especially entrepreneurs. We also uh, convene communities of women in business leadership, for example, the 100 Women at Davos. And also, um, we also have the African Women CEOs Network, which is actually here on, um, on, on LinkedIn and has moved on to different platforms and channels now. In my work personally as well, uh, I sit on the boards of um, uh, several international companies, including one which specializes on uh, gender balance in the UK. And um, I'm also a member of the, um, of the advisory committee on the di- gender and diversity at the Institute of Directors in the UK. So my work, uh, both at Avodis Consulting and in the communities, as well as uh, my advisory and board work, does cover uh, diversity and uh, inclusion. Now, um, to your question, which is what is diversity and inclusion? And um, I will just start with a simple uh, definition, which I think can be quite helpful. When we look at diversity, we're looking at representation. We're looking at numbers. So what we're saying is that does the leadership team reflect the population that it comes out of in that society? So that's a representation. So it it tends to be in numbers, right, in proportions. So it's measurable in that way. But when we come to talk about inclusion, so diversity is getting, making sure you have the right representation. Now, inclusion is making those voices count. So it is, it, inclusion is the behavior. It is what happens when you have a diverse team. How do you make sure that the voices get heard? How do you make sure that um, your diverse team has equal um, contribution? How do you create a safe space for everybody's voices to be heard? So that's the difference between diversity and inclusion from numbers into behaviors and making those numbers count. Hmm. I love it. And if you may, I would really want to share with the audience today, how did you um, step into this diversity and inclusion in leadership uh, role with your consulting company coming from corporate banking and and from building a a career in that space? Because I think you have a very nice setup to, to share with the audience today. You know, it, it was almost by chance. And when I say by chance is that 
through my career, right from, um, in fact, before I started my career, and I wanted to go into banking, right? And I never looked at it in terms of gender. I studied economics at the London School of Economics because that was the perfect background, I felt, to go into um, banking. In fact, I wanted to go into investment banking. So I never looked at it as gender. I never thought about the numbers. But, you know, later on in with my work, I began to see the gender element. And that started off uh, um, after a few years, because here I was in corporate bank and I used to you know, lend you know, huge sums of money to uh, international companies, right? And um, these are sort of global multinational names and we're talking about millions of dollars and all of that. But then um, I, I, I got interested in entrepreneurship. I felt by this time I was back in, in, in Africa, in Nigeria. And I thought, well, why um, is it that you know, the local businesses aren't growing? And I got interested in entrepreneurship and studying that. And I studied that, you know, uh, throughout my, when I studied, I did my MBA, which was to allow me to continue banking, right? But I got interested in entrepreneurship and I had the opportunity with my family to live in several African countries. And what I found out with entrepreneurship and looking at financing entrepreneurship, which is what my doctoral studies um, are about, I began to notice you know, people like me, women, and when I looked at them and I found that they weren't getting access to funding in the ways that they should. And I thought, oh, no, 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 I'm a banker. I used to do this. I used to write loans, right? So I know how to approach the banks. So I started off from that way and helping them to approach banks, but then also seeing that they required sometimes, you know, some assistance, some help, right? So that's how we started. But then, so that's how the whole gender thing came in, in terms of leadership from entrepreneurship from women. And then I got interested in women across all fronts in the corporate world because I had um, started out my career in the corporate world as well. And so um, that's how it, it all started, really. And then looking as the, with the background in economics, with background in maths, I loved looking at the numbers. And then when I went back to look at the numbers, to see when I was back in university, and looking at the numbers today and seeing that some of these channels um, did, were not as balanced as they could have been. And then that really got me into looking really at what is happening in terms of leadership and diversity. What did you decide to do when, uh, when it came to the, the lack of representation and diversity in leadership? Because that's how you founded Avandis Consulting, to help uh, businesses and, and to help uh, women and to help the ecosystem, you know, develop and, and evolve in this, in, this, uh, in, this, in this sphere. Can you give us some, a bit of understanding of what do you think uh, really pushes forward this agenda of diversity and inclusion in leadership? You know, it's interesting because um, when I went into, when I started off uh, uh, this, right, there wasn't actually a gender aspect of it. I used to run these seminars almost on the side for women entrepreneurs. So it was actually not a core part of, of my work. But as time went along and the communities grew and the interest grew and you could see the impact, then, you know, I then realized that this is something that was really valuable and that we needed to put a lot more attention on it. And I think that's what it was, because if I looked at it from purely a business perspective at the beginning, I felt if you're having a network, you know, and all of that, it's not going to be um, in terms of, you know, as a business person, in terms of the time, right, you won't get the returns is what I thought. But then I saw the need and I thought, rather than look at it that way, find out how it's going to work. So it was because I saw the need because I had the interest, because I was ready to dedicate to it and said, look, we'll figure out the rest of it first, right? Very unlike business, because business, you see what are the business opportunities first, but this one. So I think that 
it, you have to be committed to it. You have to be passionate about it. You have to really believe that this is important, right? For organizations, for society, and for business. And then when you then get into it, you then begin to see, yes, it does count. Yes, it does matter. And this is what I can do. So I think that that interest, that passion, and that belief of the importance is what actually allows you to, you to um, enter it, into it and then drive into it. I guess later on we'll talk about some of the, the physical things you can do you know, to enter into that space. But I, I think that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, lovely. I would love to continue on the on the topic of what are the, the qualities of inclusive leadership, in your opinion? Oh, inclusive leadership is such an important topic. We've talked about diversity, so we assume that you, you, know, you have now, you're growing a diverse team. But inclusive means making voices count, right? And making the voices count is, means that you have to, as a leader, make sure everybody is included. You have to listen to everybody. You have to make sure that if there's some people who are reticent, because very often uh, in leadership, when you're talking to teams, right, without realizing it, sometimes it's the loudest voices that count, right? And you have to say, it's not about the loudest voice. It's about everybody being involved. So you must make sure you bring up people, make sure you create psychological space for them, right? So that they can share their views and collaboration is key and is absolutely important, you know. And throughout my career, especially in the latter years, I've noticed that on boards, noticed that when you see um, top leaders, you see how they um, use those skills of um, inclusive leadership. You have to make those voices count. And if you don't make those voices count, you aren't going to get the benefits of, um, of, the, di- of the diverse team anyway. So it's in, in, it's in interest of the organization to make those diverse, um, um, diverse, diverse voices um, count. And that's by listening, by including people in the conversation, taking into consideration what they've said, collaboration really, and providing psychological space. Mm. Safety, are... psychological safety. Exactly, psychological safety, a topic that we've uh, we've debated with uh, another podcast guest on uh, on product management, who mentioned that as well for developing uh, teams. And I'm right. really happy you've mentioned all of these points because my next question would be: What are the benefits of uh, diversity and inclusion setup uh, in, in businesses and companies? But what are the benefits? The first one is you know all the research studies show. From um, these are from places like McKinsey, from the World Economic Forum, from Deloitte. These are the top firms that deal with leaders around the world. And one, the first thing is that it's actually better in terms of performance. There is actually what you call a diversity gap, right, in performance of firms. When you look at the top firms who are the best in, uh, who have the most diverse teams compared to the bottom. There's a gap. So diversity actually pays. That's the first thing. Okay. And it pays because we live in a complex world. We have a multiplicity of consumers, right? And how do you understand what your customers and clients want if you don't have their voices represented, right? The other thing, of course, is talent knows no gender. So if you are not including all the talent on board by only including more of one gender than the other, then it means you're losing out on the available um, talent. And despite what we see happening, talent is probably one of the most important ingredients in terms of 
performance and success for businesses in today's world, there's a war for talent, right? Even though we're, we're looking and we're seeing ourselves, the world, in a recession due to COVID, but that's actually a short period of time. So you need to have the best, the best talent means you have to have a diverse team to to get the, the, the to get the clients and to be able to create products, right? The right products, you have to have a diverse team, right? And also what um, we say to businesses now is that what we're seeing now is that talent is actually being quite selective, the top talent, and they are deselecting, right, organizations that do not have that diversity and representation in leadership. So those pictures you put out there, right, um, on that website, if they are not representing diversity, your top talent, you may not, you might find it difficult to attract top talent. I think, you know, the younger generation, Generation Z, they are very, very choosy now. Hmm. That's a very fair point because, you know, linked to that, one of the questions that the audience could ask is, okay, I want to have more talent, but how do I attract them in my company if I'm not McKenzie? How do I, you know, how do I share that this is a great company to work for? Do you have any advice for those of, uh, of our listeners who are in this uh, dilemma of how, how to attract talent in their, in their businesses? Absolutely. You know, the first thing is that um, very often you have firms that saying that we're open, right? We're open and we're open to everybody. But the truth about it is that, you know, there is so much information out there. So how do you channel and how do you attract people to you and how do you find it? How do you get that information? And studies have shown over and over again that most people get jobs through social networks, right? Through a social connection, right? So much as we feel that you know, we've put out these adverts here on LinkedIn and, and all of that, that's true, but most jobs are still through social connection or network. That means that our social connection or networks, if we look at them, right, they tend to be biased because the people we've known from before, known from school, might be male or female and all of that. So we have to overcome that. So the first thing I'd say to any firm that is looking to have um, a diverse workforce and leadership is not to start from the outside. You start from you, the leader. You need to educate yourself. You need to read a lot. You need to get specialists in. You need to understand what that means. Because there's so many things that we are blindsided to. Our conscious bias is not something that is just, it's not just men alone. It is everybody, all of us, men, women, whoever. We don't even realize how we had hardwired, you know, sometimes. So you need you actually need to educate yourselves, right? Educate your teams first. That's the first thing, and read a lot and understand. Then your eyes begin to clear. I saw something uh, recently, uh, I think it was on LinkedIn, it was interesting, and it just had frames, right? You know, frames, picture frames, you know, picture frames? And it just had empty picture frames and just you know, several of them, blank picture frames. And the story behind this was uh, a lady who was it must have been some important organization or something. And she walked past these frames and she calls them a, a dude wall. I thought, a dude wall? What's that? What does a dude wall mean? And all it meant is you're walk, walking by and seeing all these pictures of these people who've done wonderful things or the leaders in the organization or the CEOs or whatever, and they're all men. Hmm. And um, she pointed this out to the person who was with her, right, who was a man. And he had seen that forever and he didn't even think about it. But the minute he was told about it, he became conscious. So very often it's like that. We're not even aware of our biases because they've been hardwired into us from a long time. So we need to educate ourselves and become more conscious about the unconscious biases. 
Very, very well said. One of my questions that uh, that I really wanted to ask you in our live stream is, what do we do when we know that leadership teams uh, are not conscious of their of their biases or they think that everything is really okay and that we will evolve in the right direction? What do we do then? Because it's very hard to go to someone and tell them that they are not doing the right job because it's of course you know something that it's a very you know it's a decision that that uh, boils down to a, an individual or a team so if everybody thinks everything's okay then what can we do to you know push forward this agenda do you have oh. any recommendations or anything you want to add to that you know, it's true, but it does happen, right? To have the sort of head in the sand, right? And um, sort of ignoring this thing. Um, what you find more often is that um, people are aware, they know, and it's a question of what do we do? But you do have instances. And um, all I can say is this, is that the world is moving very fast, right? And um, there really are, in today's world, there's sort of very little excuses and um, there's a lot of exasperation about organizations who have their heads in the sand, right? And don't realize that diversity and inclusion is very important, right? So that's the first thing is that, so if your organization isn't, right, you should be questioning yourself because people are beginning to get tired. And when I say people, I mean people who have the power, people who have the money. So for example, we saw an example through COVID where for example, Goldman Sachs said that they wouldn't IPO a firm, we bring to market a firm that didn't have at least one uh, diverse uh, member you know, um, in terms of ethnic minority and in terms of uh, agenda on, 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 on the top teams, for example, right? We've seen um, in, in, the, in the US moves by, I think it's uh, either the NASDAQ or the stock exchange, right, to make sure that, um, you know, that the biggest firms in, in, in the world were quoted having women on board, etc. So um, people who are making the decisions, right, are now saying who have the, the the funds to invest are saying that it has to be a diverse team. I think it, it's I mean several countries. I think in Germany, there's several countries of the world that even lawmakers, right, are putting in uh, uh, laws and regulations because they're saying that look, we've given it enough chance. You know what you should do, and you're not doing it. So organisations shouldn't find themselves in that position where it's being forced upon them, right? What they should be doing is a leader is somebody who's proactive and who's actually. Um, you know, taking those steps. So in today's world, there's no excuse. The the, the issue is more of how to do it than um, should we do it. And that is where a lot of the action is in helping firms and organizations to uh, move forward on the diversity and inclusion um, uh, strategy really for the organizations. Thank you so much for covering that. We've We've covered some of the some of these topics in our podcast interview, so I really uh, encourage everyone to go and check it out because we had a, a good forty minutes of discussing um, this uh, this agenda very in detail, you know, and with with some of the, the great resources that you've shared. I do want to share that on our social platforms we have um, uh, shared your uh, diversity and inclusion resources that uh, also adds to the reading list. We have around 10 to 11 books on diversity and inclusion that uh, leaders and of course anybody interested can can read upon. And then we also have um, some very nice uh, studies that uh, Dr. Anino actually sh shared with us in order to also add more to the uh, to the topic and, and you know really share that there are studies about how diverse teams really increase performance and, and help economies and so on. So it's, it's not only about the fact that uh, we should, of course, we should represent everybody, but it's also not something that uh, came from, uh, you know, just uh, making up 
uh, numbers or making up ideas. These are studies that are being shared by large universities. And I'm very happy that you've decided to share that with us as well. I think it would really help bring more understanding to the topic. I want to I wanna just encourage everybody who is tuning in to actually share their questions because I'm seeing here in the chat somebody asked if they can share questions, feel free to do so. Um, if you have any other topics that we should cover, Dr. Anino is here with us for another 10 minutes, so uh, I think she will, be, she will be happy to cover those. Um, I, do, I do have something that I wanted to share that uh, maybe is, is you know, a link to a bit more about um, the leadership side because we've mentioned you know, uh, inclusive leadership and uh, I have here and Harvard Business uh, Review article called The Key to Inclusive Leadership. Uh, and it says, uh, inclusive leadership is a critical capability to leverage diverse thinking in a workforce with increasingly diverse markets, customers, and talent. Only one in three leaders holds an accurate view about their inclusive leadership capabilities. A third believes they are more inclusive than they actually are perceived by those around them, while a third lack confidence in their inclusive leadership capability and so do less than they could do to actively guide others and challenge the status quo. So we've covered some of these uh, topics just 10 minutes ago, but for those of our listeners who maybe think that it's not in their power to do any change, to make a change or to, they don't have any impact, but they actually work in, and they, they, they sit in leadership teams. What is your advice for them to really start doing maybe small steps towards uh, implementing this diversity and inclusion agenda on the board topics and, and, you know, leadership teams agendas? What do you advise them if they don't know where to start? You see, the thing about it is I think the first place to start is to ask as a leader is to ask. Because um, even for myself, when I wanted uh, diversity and inclusion resources, I went into a network community and I just asked them and I got tons of resources. So the first thing as leaders, right, is that you're, you're curious, so you need to ask. The second thing as well is that, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, leaders who are, have seen, you know, you've had all these sort of um, expressions like um, strong leader, you know, you always have these kinds of expressions, right? And what happens is that you sort of feel, you're sort of out there feeling that you're able and capable to do everything. And it's difficult to accept that sometimes, you know, perhaps you're getting something wrong. And especially when it comes to inclusion, because when you're a leader, you're talking about strategy, you're measuring performance, all of these things, right, are highly measurable, right? And so you can measure your performance and where, where are your numbers going, et cetera, et cetera. But when you think about not being inclusive, it suggests that there is a bias. And sometimes leaders find it hard to accept that you're saying that they're being unfair, right? But if we understand that a lot of this is unconscious, that is, we are not aware of it, and it affects everybody, right? It's not women or men, it's everybody. It's not um, one race or another, it's everybody. And so we begin to challenge and see things. And one thing that I say is very often is this, is look at results, right? Um, especially as leaders. As leaders, you're trained to look at numbers. Look at the numbers. So I'll give you an example. So say, for example, you want to... Um, you want a more so diverse slate of candidates, right, in your recruitment. And then you find out that the numbers that have come to you, and it's not quite diverse, and whether it's through your HR team or through your recruiters, they tell you, this is all we can find. Don't accept it, because just as you won't accept low performance, right, in any way, don't accept that, right, and say something is wrong with the system somewhere. And so the, go by the results. And if you see that the results show that you're not having a diverse team, Results show that you're not having um, 
you know, uh, you don't have women, ethnic minorities at the highest level, for example, then accept that there's something wrong in the system. Or if you look at your pipeline and say, okay, we had, for example, uh, almost 50-50% uh, of women at the beginning, right? And then it's sort of, it's sort of we have this funnel effect where it sort of narrows down. Then the responsibility is within organization. Why is the organization not able to retain women onto top leadership positions? So, you know, that is where the self-introspection as an organization leadership comes into it, right? And the belief that, you know, at the end of the day, it is better for the organization, better, better outcomes, okay? And this is something that you have in control. As we always say, that the, the chief executive is the chief diversity officer, really, of the organization. So it's up to the board, up to leaders, right, to actually say, we, we are going to do this, and then you educate yourself. You know, the thing I, I love working with leaders is that leaders are so high-performing leaders, right? They're so bright. So you, you throw it out to them, literally. Tell them what it's about. Once they accept it, they run with it, right? So it's that acceptance that is usually the first thing and very often the issue. Right, accepting that this is something that needs to be done, or accepting that there are issues, right? But look at it like numbers. If the numbers are coming out with something else, then something is wrong somewhere, and it needs to be it needs to be fixed. So the awareness is the first thing, right? And um, we we we've talked about looking at um, the the how do you run the whole aspect of diversity and inclusion in the organisation? And just very briefly, briefly, I'll say this one is that you know um, first of all, diversity and inclusion is not an it's not an employee um, resource group thing. It's not. It is strategic, right? And that has to be represented right in the right way. So the people in charge of diversity and inclusion need number one to have the team. They need to have the budget and they need to have access to the top leadership. I think in um, the case of uh, the, the president of the United States of America, Joe Biden, I can't remember the name of his council, but the council that he created for diversity and inclusion reports directly to him. And it has um, his cabinet ministers, um, it's all part of it. These are the things that tell you when somebody is uh, a leader is really serious about uh, diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for mentioning also that uh, that last aspect about diversity and inclusion being a person that just makes it happen, but it's it's you know a strategic uh, decision to really uh, evolve and and continue to to grow as a company and you know taking that into account. Thanks so much for for mentioning that as well. We have a very nice comment that I wanna I wanna read out loud. Um, uh, Christina is telling us, I completely agree with the points you have made, and I don't really have a question. I had a comment. I have recently uh, had the pleasure to have a job interview with a company where my potential future leader asked me what can he do for me in this potential role communication-wise, feedback, and so on. I think this definitely has a relation to inclusivity, and I'm happy to see that work culture is changing in a good way. So we see that, you know, conversation and feedback both ways really is something to really consider in any any sort of setup, even even in the beginning when you're trying to build a relationship with an employee, very, very important. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that um, in a situation like that, she should count herself lucky when you have, you know, that that's a good sign already. Or not lucky, I would say. It should be that way. But Think of it positively. If already that's the way the leadership is is, um, is responding, that um, you know these are good these are good signs. 
So. Mm, definitely. I do wanna I do wanna address to you another question before we we finish this live stream. Thank you everyone for tuning in. This is really really fun, and Anino is really. Uh, you know, a, a treasure when it comes to giving all uh, all of this wisdom and advice. So thanks so much for tuning in with, with us, Anino. I wanna I wanna touch upon uh, your mentorship career a little bit because sure. you know, with your consulting company now, you mentor a lot of leaders. And I would be curious to to know and also share with the listeners what are some of those pieces of advice that you uh, have gathered from your uh, mentorship career. Basically, what did you see? Throughout your interviews and and uh, counseling with different uh, different leaders, what is it that you know people want to know? What is it that they are focusing on? Is it personal development? Certain leadership skills? What do you think um, you can share with the listeners now about about that? You know, mentorship has been found out to be something that is really very important in helping you know and, and people grow into the leadership role and even after that, right? So it's key and it's important and it's a trusting. It's a role of confidentiality confidentiality, trust, and it's something that, you know, if you have the opportunity, right, on both sides, you know, you should do it. Um, what I'm finding, actually, it's I'm finding that it's changing. Uh, previously, it used to be, if you're talking about people in careers, very often uh, people are talking about, you know, this is the next step and what are the options and how do they go get there and, you know, and, and things like that, right, which is, which is normal. That's the reason you want to pro progress. But what I'm finding right now, which is interesting, is that people are interested in stories, so what I mean by that is that, you know, I would be saying that, you know, um, at least in this industry, these are possible um, potentials, talk to them about you know, what it is they're doing and you know, what they could do and looking at the CV and the background and your interests. But what I'm finding is people are interested in my story, which at first, you know, I thought it was odd, right? Because, I, you know, of course, you know, I, 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 I um, mentor people across industries, so how can it? But I think people relate to stories, right? So um, what they try to say is that, you know, how um, certain decisions that you've taken along, how did those things happen? People want to relate, right, to what it is, you know, um, it is you're doing. But I think people are also interested in, it's not only about the best job, right? It's that the best job for me, people are interested in values of the organization, in the leadership of the organization. People are interested in a multiplicity of roles, not just one thing, right? And I also see young people interested in, at one point in time, they're doing two, three, um, or four things. It might be extracurricular, or it might be outside, it might be a network, or they might be leading in something. And also what I see with young people now is that they're taking up leadership roles at a very young stage. And that is, um, that is only to be encouraged. Thank you so much, Anino. That is a, a great update to to share with everyone. And you know, mentorship, sponsorship, uh, having somebody to discuss with uh, your career plans, but even your personal updates, how to tackle your career path, are you know very important parts of life. And uh, I really, if if people that listen and have the possibility of finding a mentor, I think that would be really fantastic for their development. Um, I do want to sum up with asking, what do you advise people who do want to follow in your footstep and, uh, footsteps and, uh, you know, tackle maybe the diversity and inclusion uh, space? Is there anything that you would recommend if we have interested uh, listeners who want to, to follow in your career path? Yes, uh, I would certainly say that um, I think we mentioned at the beginning that you know if you're interested in the diversity and inclusion space, that certainly you you, know, you need to have the, you know the passion and interest for it, right? Um, you you could be going into it as um, part of your work, 
But what I find, what we're finding with the people who are in the diversion of, diversity and inclusion space, um, of space in the corporate world is that it's not necessarily a career, right? It could be something that you do do because organizations very often want their senior leaders, right? to go into that space as well. So it could be part of that. Um, naturally, it has evolved from um, human resources, but as people are seeing that it's more strategic, right? People are coming in from the business um, the business areas as well. But I think that what is important is to show that interest, okay? And it's, it's something where you raise your hand, you step out, right? You hear people speak, you develop your personal brand, you know? How are you, how are you shall I say, making yourself different from everybody else, right? In what you say, in the content you produce, in the blogs you write, um, how are you including your voice into certain things? So I think that is it. And I think the more and more you do that, you, be you begin to see that people would be interested and would listen to you. So I think diversity, you really need to be interested in it. Um, you need to step out and step into it, right? Um, learn about it a little bit and contribute and then you know little by little you find that you're building um, you, you are building something there whether you're doing it you know as a part of your career in terms of corporate organization right or, or whether it is you know, you're building something in the you know an outside world or whether it is you know you're running at the community there's so many different ways to get into it but I think um, I just say simply that um, the world has you know 3.5 or more billion women that it's a space that there's a lot of space for everybody until, until everybody, not the 3.5 billion women, but till 7 billion people in this world, you know, talk about diversity and inclusion and think of it as normal. There's still a lot of space to grow. Thank you so much, Anino. Thank you so much for your, for your wisdom, for sharing your advice, for putting some more understanding to the diversity and inclusion space. Um, I think some of the topics that we managed to cover in this live stream were really very, very important. And I encourage everybody to go and listen to the interview we shared last week on diversity and inclusion in leadership for on the podcast platforms, Family Podcast, um, because I think we've also touched upon some very important topics there. That was all for today. I want to thank you so much for, for tuning in with me and uh, doing this experiment together on LinkedIn. And I really hope we brought some value to our listeners here uh, online. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Fem Lead Podcast. Share the news with your friends and follow us on social media at Fem Lead Podcast everywhere. <laughs>